My name is Brad, and I'm the lead pastor here at Hillside Church, and I want to thank you for listening to one of our messages from Hillside Church. We believe that the God who spoke so clearly all through the pages of Scripture is still speaking today. So if it's me speaking or if it's someone else, we pray that the message you are about to hear would allow you to know God, know His hope, know His purpose, and know His power. Enjoy the message. As we, as we look at the word of God this morning, you can turn to Exodus chapter 3. That's where we're going to be today. We're in the middle, we're in the thick of our sermon series looking at this idea of courageous peace. It's really a call for us to understand the concept and the idea of peace in our lives in a totally new and unique way. To take what we know about peace and what we know about how we get peace and then to totally reimagine the idea of peace in a whole new way. See, we've been looking at this promise that Jesus makes for us, this, this promise that Jesus gives us when, in John chapter 14, when Jesus says this, he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I, I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And it's really the part where Jesus says that he's going to give us peace, but it's not the kind of peace that the world offers. It's a different peace, and he says that he's going to give us peace in a different way, and, and that's what we've been sort of on this journey to understand. And he tells us that through his peace, our hearts wouldn't be troubled, and we wouldn't be afraid, which really does already highlight for us the difference between God's peace and the world's peace. You see... Our peace, the, the peace that can come from the world. If, if I'm troubled, I don't have peace. That's just how it works. That if I'm afraid, I don't have, that I, it, it, those things will rob me of my peace. My peace doesn't overcome those things. My peace is overcome by those things. Peace only exists when there's nothing to take it away. But yet, here's Jesus saying, my peace is actually different than that. My, my peace isn't that. My peace is different than when you have a troubled heart, you can still have peace. When, when you're afraid, you can still have peace. And we've taken a look at a couple of times, a couple of instances, stories in the Bible, where we've seen God's peace triumph over different situations. And people where, where the peace fundamentally should have been lost where we've seen people who have had peace lose it because of what's going on and contrasting that to those who were able to keep their peace despite what's going on. We talked about the Israelites and the taking of the promised land and how the report that the men brought back from the promised land caused the whole community to spiral out of control to spiral into fear and dread because of the report of the land, because there was people there, and they were big people, and it was scary, and it was hard. But we saw how Caleb's peace in God allowed him to know all the same things that the other people knew, but his peace in God allowed him to just say, so what? We can do this. 
And last week we, we talked about how, a man, or how, how the Apostle Paul and a man named Agabus comes to him and he prophesies over his life. And he tells him that he's going to be bound and captured and punished if he goes to Jerusalem. And we see the people all around Paul break down and cry and be fearful. But we see Paul say, whatever happens, I'm going to trust God. We saw this courageous peace, that, a peace that allowed for circumstances to be overcome by peace, despite the circumstances overwhelming other people. And isn't that what we all want in our lives and in our stories? To be able to live in peace, to be able to live with peace, whatever's going on around us, whatever's happening around us, well, this is what Jesus tells us he's offering us in these verses. And this week we're going to take a look at another example of this. Another example of something in our lives that will try and rob us of our peace. That, that the peace of the world cannot stand up against. But that the peace of God, courageous peace, can stand up. Um, but there's a couple things that are going to make this in, this story a little bit different than the ones we looked at last time. Because over the last two weeks, we, we've always had two sets of people to, to compare and contrast with. We, we had Caleb, who had this courageous peace, and then we had everybody else. And we had Paul, who had this courageous peace, but, but then we had everybody else. But this week, there's not going to be the ability to compare and contrast. There, there's just one person in our story. There's, there's one person and then there's God. But what, we, what takes place for this one person is something that I know each and every one of us today will be able to identify with. And while there will be no one to compare him against, what we will see is, is first the battle that goes on inside of him, the battle that, that is waged inside his heart and his mind and his life as he hears what God says to him. But then we'll also be able to see, in some respects, God's response to it. That, that is, as he's dealing with all of this, what, what does God do? What does God change? What is, how does God respond and today we're going we're gonna to deal with a topic that I'm sure will cut for many of us right to the bone of our lives because I'm sure that, that for all of us, every one of us, we struggle with this. And it's something that robs us of our peace in almost a daily basis in our lives. Today we're going to talk about insecurity. We're going to talk about this idea of insecurity, what it is, and, and how it can rob us of our peace. But also to see how God responds when our insecurities come through. Now, insecurity isn't really driven by situations. It, it's not a circumstance that comes to rob us peace because our insecurities don't always just show up in big moments. They don't always show up in, 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 a, in the moment when we're confronted with a huge task. When we're, we're asked to go take the promised land, well, now suddenly I'm insecure about that. That insecurity, they, it shows up everywhere. It shows up in all kinds of places and in all kinds of ways. And when we face big situations and when we face little situations, sometimes a big situation can make us feel insecure. Sometimes a little situation can make us feel insecure. 
when, when we were in the throes of COVID, um, in, in, in the, 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 the lockiest lockdown that ever locked down, um, one of the things that we tried to do, or one of the things that we did, um, was a couple of times we brought our kids here to the church, and, and we played uh, video games on the screen, um, just to sort of break up the monotony in their pastor's kids, and there should be some benefit to that. Um, and so, so we came here, and one of the games that we played was Just Dance. And if you don't know what Just Dance is, it's a game where you sort of, you, you, they play a song and they tell you all these dance moves to, to do. And it was literally just me, my wife, and my kids here at the church. And they're, Dad, come dance. Dad, come I don't want to do that. Well, Dad, come, come dance. Dad, we want you to. No, no, kids. Dad, Daddy doesn't do that. Because I'm insecure. I don't know why. I don't think that my kids are going to be like, you know, we used to love you. But then, <laughs> but then we watched you do Just Dance. And now we don't have a dad anymore. You know, that, that somehow, that, like, the, but I'm, I'm standing at the back thinking, like, no, you guys go ahead. I don't want to do this because I'm insecure. Because, and it's, it, it's not this big thing. It's not this big, scary, you know, Luke said, like, you know, trouble talking in front of people. It's not like I had to get up and dance in front of a thousand people, or what, which I would not do. I'll get up and talk in front of a hundred people, but we're not playing just dance. Uh, but, you know, it, we, we, insecurity shows up in so many things. You know, when we're able to have church in, in person and it's normal and everything's back to normal and a new family shows up at church I think I should go talk to them well maybe not maybe somebody else should do that maybe I'm not the, the I don't want to come on too strong I don't, you know it shows up in all kinds of ways and sometimes it's big but sometimes it's little sometimes where you least expect it but insecurity, it's that voice inside your head that whatever the situation, it, it tells you that you're not enough, that you're not good enough, that you're not the right person, that you can't do this, that if you do do it, you might look dumb. And what will people think of you? If you do do this, what if it doesn't go very well? What if you fail? What if all of these things are, are a problem? It's this voice inside of your head that tells you you're inadequate. That when we get what we're present, or that we get when we're presented with something, and, and there's this voice that rattles immediately inside of us that just says, You're not the one for this. But it's something that so many of us face in so many different ways throughout our lives. And it's something that Moses deals with in Exodus chapter 3 and into chapter 4. And to take a look at insecurity and God's courageous peace, we're going to look at a conversation that God has with Moses. Some, some background to our text. If you don't know who Moses is, he was born into a Jewish family at the time when the Jewish people had been slaves in Egypt for about 400 years. But he didn't live the life of a Jewish person because when he was just a baby, they had made a decree that all the Jewish babies were to be killed. And so Moses' family did what they could to save him. 
and they placed him in a basket and placed him in a river. And, and like things happen in a river, his basket flowed down the river and he was discovered by the daughter of Pharaoh and he was actually raised inside Pharaoh who is like the king of Egypt. But at this time, functionally, he's like the king of the world and he's raised inside Pharaoh's palace. And so he was Jewish but he wasn't raised as a Jew. But then as he grew older, his Jewish heritage started to become a problem in his life. And it started to become this tension point where, where he was a Jew, but he wasn't raised as a Jew, and he didn't live as a Jew, and he wasn't living in captivity, and he wasn't living like all of this, but he still knew he was a Jew. And it, it boils over in this moment where he actually kills somebody because he's trying to, to reconcile his Jewish heritage with the place that he finds himself in life, which ultimately leads to him needing to go into exile on, on the backside of the desert. And it's in this moment where we see God show up and speak to Moses through a burning bush. It says this in, in Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the, the priest of Midian. And, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that the bush was on fire, but it did not burn up. And from this bush, God calls Moses to lead his people from Egypt into freedom. God says to Moses, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And it's in this moment. Now, we talked earlier about how, how insecurity doesn't always show up in big moments. Here we're going to see insecurity show up in a big moment. But in this moment, as God says, this is what I have for you and your life. This is the story your life is going to tell. What we see is that Moses' insecurities just come flooding out. And in this moment, we see Moses being thrown into a war with himself of how he sees himself and trying to understand what God has called us to do. In verse 11, we're just going to highlight a couple of verses as we go through as Moses sort of speak, gives, like, speaks his insecurities to God. Verse 11, he says, Who am I to go to Pharaoh and bring the people of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? This question cuts right to the heart of insecurity, right to the very core of what it means to be insecure. Who am I? He looked at his own life. He looked at his own faults and all of his problems. And we're going to see some of the things that he sees as barriers between him and being able to do this. He looks at everything that, that he knows he is and looks at what God is calling him to do. And he says... Who? Me? You're asking me to do that? Moses cannot see himself in this role. He cannot see what God has called him to do being fulfilled by himself. He, he doesn't measure up to who he sees as someone who should be in that role. Who am I to do this? Who am I to take on this responsibility? Who am I to take this on? I, who is this that you're asking? 
And we see Moses continue to try and work through this distance between what he knows about himself and what he knows that God is calling him to do. A few verses later in chapter 4, verse 1, Moses says to God, what if they do not believe me or listen to me? And say, the Lord did not appear to you? What if they? What if they laugh at me? What if people make fun of me? What if it doesn't go well? What if people doubt me? What if, just like I said earlier, who am I? What if I step out in faith and people's response to my step out in faith is who? You? Who are you? Being afraid of what people might think, the, the sentiment of what if they, it's probably one of the if not the biggest reason why we struggle with doing the things that we should. It's why we struggle with sharing our faith. It's, it's why we struggle with opening up with the world around us about our relationship with God. What if? What if? What if? Or what will people think if I say that, what will people think if, if I do that? What would people say if I say, I'd like to do that? Everyone will look and go, them? Get out of town. And we can miss out on what God has for us because we can be so afraid of what if they, Proverbs will tell us that the fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. What if they? Now here's the truth. Sometimes the what if they our fear of what people might think it might turn out to be well-grounded. Sometimes we might step out in faith and somebody might say, who, you? Get out of town. Who do you think you are? That we might step out in faith and we might step out and say, I'm going to trust God in this. And we might fall flat on our face. But it's irrelevant because we don't know how it will turn out. We don't know. It might go great. It might go poorly. What we do know is that it's not up to us to make it go either way. That for Moses, what if Pharaoh doesn't listen? Okay, but what if he does? It's not up to Moses to cause Pharaoh to listen. It's not what they might think. It's what God will do. The third thing that Moses brings to God out of concern for himself and his ability is that Moses says to God, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither past nor since. You have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. 
I always enjoy when we translate our, our Bible like this because that sounds pretty eloquent. You know, that, that sounds like uh, I wouldn't speak that well. I am slow of speech and tongue. I have never been eloquent. I, mean, I don't talk so good. You know, <laughs> that, that, that's what the, and, and that's why I've always enjoyed Charlton Heston's portrayal of Moses. Because he's got this deep, booming voice of a man who's not supposed to speak so well. But he continues, Moses continues to look at himself and all he can see is everything that makes him inadequate. He, he looks and says, okay, you want me to go talk to Moses? Well, the first, I, or talk to Pharaoh, the first item in the job description is that I need to talk. I don't want to do that. I'm not good at that. You, 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 the very first thing you're asking me to do is to go speak, and speaking's not, not my thing. God, even if I wanted to and believed that I could do what you're asking me to do, and even if I wasn't afraid to go do it, I still can't because I can't because I don't have the skill set you're asking me to operate in. I don't have what it takes to do it. I don't have the skill, the ability, the attributes, the abilities to, needed to do what it is that you've asked me to do. So God, even if I was fully on board, I can't because I can't. I don't have the ability to do it. And the last thing that Moses says to God in verse 13 of chapter 4 as God and Moses, they're going back and forth and back and forth about the way that Moses sees himself. The last thing Moses says to God out of his insecurity, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Finally, it just comes to Moses saying to God, look, there's got to be somebody else. Somebody else out there who could do a better job of this than me. Ultimately, God, there's got to be somebody better. God, send someone else. And so often in our own lives, this is a heart issue that we have to deal with. God, I don't want to. For whatever reason... Could you just send someone else? You know, one of the things that we're going to be talking about over the next couple of weeks as we look at reopening the church is that we're going to talk about our need for Sunday school teachers. And it's really easy to think somebody else should do that. Somebody should teach those kids. God, send somebody else. Not here am I, send me. Here am I, send them. Moses' insecurities just, just come pouring out to God. All the things that, that he thinks and believes about who he is and what he can do. So many things about how he sees himself and all the reasons why he can't see himself as the right guy. They just come pouring out. As God gives Moses his plan for his life, it's, it's not a circumstance, it's not a situation, it's, it's not even something or someone else that robs him of his peace. It's his own mind. 
his own self-perception, how he sees himself and his place in the world and the lies of the enemy who want to keep him off what God is calling him to do. And they all come marching into his mind and his peace collapses. It all falls down. He has no peace about this. And I'm sure that I don't have to ask for a show of hands or for us to drop a comment in the chats if, if this has ever happened to you. If in your life you've ever been faced with insecurity. Instead, we just have Moses. We, we see Moses and we see his insecurities running out of control. And we don't have somebody to compare him to. There wasn't somebody else standing next to him saying, God, send me. Send, send, I got this. Send, send me. It, it'll be fine. Don't worry about Moses. I'm here. We don't have a Caleb saying, yes, we can do this. Yes, you can do this. But what we do have is God. And we see how God responds to Moses and his insecurities. He works with Moses and how he feels and he shows him some signs and things that he can do. And he, he says, if they don't believe you, you can get out your staff and he put it on the ground. It'll turn into a snake and, and all of the, that he gives him some assurances that he's going to work through him. But everything that Moses feels about himself and all the reasons he cannot do what God has asked him to do, God isn't swayed. God isn't moved. God doesn't come to see, see it Moses' way. We don't read in, in Exodus chapter 4, God saying, you know, you're right. What was I thinking? You are clearly not the right guy. You've got a brother, don't you? Maybe I should go talk to you. Thank you for being so open and honest about yourself. I'm going to go find Aaron. His view of Moses isn't changed because of how Moses views Moses. And almost more significantly than that, because of course God knows everything. So he's not going to allow Moses to talk his way out of it. But Almost more significant than that, God doesn't give up on him either. Well, Moses, if I had known you were going to be this extra, I would have just asked somebody else. If I knew this was how this was going to go, forget it. What a waste of time this has been. If I knew you were going to be this whiny, this much work, I never would have asked you in the first place. No, Moses is God's guy. Whatever Moses' insecurities may be. Now, maybe in your life today, you find yourself in the kind of place, the same kind of place, of Moses talking to a burning bush. You know what God has called you to do. You know what God has called you to be. Maybe you don't, but maybe you do. You know that this is, this is the attitude I'm supposed to have. This is the thing I'm supposed to do. These are the things that we're supposed to do as we move forward. These are the things that I'm supposed to be about in my life. 
And you can have all kinds of reasons for being unsuitable. Or all kinds of other people around you who are more gifted than you are to do what God has called you to do. But the truth of our story is the same truth of Moses' story. When you are God's chosen person, you are God's chosen person. Regardless of what your insecurities might tell you, regardless of all the reasons why you think you can't, you shouldn't, and you won't, you're still the one God has chosen. It's truly wonderful how God chooses and uses ordinary people like us to do extraordinary things for him. And partly because it's just so much more work for him. He could choose the best of us. He could choose only a select handful of people to do all of his work for him because it would be so much less work for him. But he doesn't. He works through us, these, these jars of clay, to do amazing things. Not because of how great we are, but by the power of his Holy Spirit. As we look at the call of Moses, then we know the way, and we know the way that God used Moses during the next 40 years of his life to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt to the promised land. We have this incredible example of how God uses people who simply cannot see themselves being used by God. Moses could not see it. And his inability to see it robs him of his peace. But the courageous peace that God gives doesn't somehow make us into these walking, talking, egotistical, well, of course God can use me. Have you seen me? Have you seen what I can do? I am pretty great. That that's not what the peace of God inside of us looks like. But the courageous peace that Jesus offers us stares our insecurity in the eyes and knows that it's not about what we can or cannot do, what we think we can or cannot be, or even what we actually can or cannot do. But it's about the one who is calling you. Friends, trust this. Embrace this. And when insecurities start to make you doubt, flip it around and say, God, I may doubt myself, but I will not doubt you. So I will let your perfection override my feelings of imperfection and be what you have called me to be. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much that you are not caught off guard somehow by how weak and frail we can be as people. By how weak and frail emotionally we can be as people. By how insecure we can be as people. But God, I thank you so much that even in our insecurities and even in our frailty and even in our weakness, 
God, you choose to work through us. God, when I struggle with my insecurity, God, you're not somehow going to turn your back. That as we as people struggle with our insecurity, God, that you're somehow not going to become exasperated with us. You're not somehow going to give up on us. But God, I thank you that even as we, your children, may struggle with insecurity, God, I thank you that your courageous peace just allows us to see past all the things that we think are true or all the things that may be true. And your peace allows us to rest in the understanding that, okay, I can't do it. But God's going to have to. That we, like Paul, can say, I will boast in my weakness because it's the power of God at work in me. Where I'm weak, you're made strong. That your power is made perfect in our weakness. And so God, as we look, and we are so well acquainted with our weaknesses, may your peace, may your courageous peace allow us to be overcomers of our insecurities. May we not fall to our insecurities, but may we love you, follow you embrace you in our lives that our insecurities would just become background noise in our life and our call and our focus and our eyes would be set on you. God, I pray for each one gathered here, each one watching, each one hearing this. God, that struggles with our insecurity, that struggles with, inse- with feelings of inadequacy, with feelings of not enough, with feelings of not good enough, with, with, all too fam- with all too much familiarity in their life of all the things that are wrong with them. God, would you begin to heal us? Would you begin to heal our minds and our spirits? Would you begin to heal our souls? Would you begin to heal the the eyes of our mind that have become so focused on us and our insecurity that we've lost sight of you? And God, would you be able to, to turn our spirit's eyes, turn our heart's eyes back towards you that we wouldn't look at ourselves, but that we would look to you and that through you, we would be able to be overcomers of our insecurity. God, I thank you that your word tells us that before the foundations of the earth, you formed us, that you knit us together in our mother's womb, that you made us us. And so, God, even in the, even in the things that are wrong with us, God, may that not be what we're focused on, but may we be focused on the one who made us and how you know all that there is to know about us and that you still love us and want to use us. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hi, we're Bob and Carol Petka, and this is our story. Um, mine starts uh, when I was uh, a young fellow of eight, went to Sunday school, and always uh, knew about God and uh, Jesus Christ, but didn't really accept the Lord until I was 11 years old at a tent crusade. Uh, and when did you accept the Lord? When I was 10. And, and okay, great. And I, I didn't grow very much in the Lord for those those earlier years. I was basically uh, doing the things that I wanted to do, and uh, felt the need to testify to others, but didn't really have the courage to do it. <laughs> um, 
then I guess the uh, next uh, thing was I went to, uh, uh, became baptized. I was baptized at the age of 19. And how about you? 12. 12. So Carol beat me on that baptism. <laughs> and uh, so I grew up in a Mennonite family. Uh, with Mennonite heritage of uh, hundreds of years uh, of Christians along the way. And uh, Carol had a Christian heritage as well. Mm -hmm. So we feel that uh, God uh, had a blessing on us because of our heritage. Amen. And uh, what do you think we should talk about next? Um, probably a summary of, um, of your career, um, how you came into that right out of high school, and then why you chose to leave that. Okay, I was, uh, I did quite well in technical school, actually. High school is a four-year technical program, Quickly. and I specialized in electricity. And prior to graduation, uh, General Motors sent someone to interview us, and two of us were uh, hired for the apprenticeship program. One, uh, the other fellow was hired for the, uh, uh, um, oh, what was it called? Um, machinist, and I was hired to uh, for the uh, electrical apprenticeship, and uh, so that was a four-year apprenticeship. During that time, uh, I was a very I continued to be a very busy uh, young man, uh, and in uh, 1967, halfway through the uh, apprenticeship, I decided to I wanted to fly, and uh, so I took my flying lessons at uh, summer of 1967. And meanwhile, dating Carol and working uh, uh, long shifts at General Motors, 10 hours a day for seven days a week. It was a really busy time. And uh, still found time every evening to go and visit Carol. Oh, you got that, yeah. <laughs> and so uh, uh, in 1967, uh, I, I, uh, we decided to get married. And we were married on October 28th, 1967. Yeah, uh, when we got back from our honeymoon, I had my palace license waiting for me in the mail. In the mail. And uh, shortly after we were married, um, I decided, or we decided, I guess we both decided, we'd buy an airplane. And uh, we need, I needed that for training purposes. Uh, although it was a lot of fun too. <laughs> but I gained experience on that and got my commercial pilot's license and uh, some other things. Uh, while I was working at General Motors uh, on my apprenticeship, um, I became a, uh, I guess you'd call it, they call it SMELS. It's an acronym, Single Multi-Engine Land and Sea uh, Endorsements and Ratings, and also uh, Instructor's Rating. And uh, then in uh, 1970, after one year as a journeyman, I decided I want to go get a, a job flying commercially. and. Uh, so then, uh, after we left uh, General Motors, we had a, our first son was born about the time we left General Motors, and we moved to Perry Sound, Ontario, started a long career in, uh, in flying at various locations in Canada, uh, which was very interesting work. Um, and the goal and the objective through this flying, um, we always wondered if God would leave into, lead into missionary aviation. Did you want to mention that? Yes, that uh, was really um, the, the well, drive behind it. Yes, I had felt a call um, to go into missionary aviation, um, but I, uh, I guess I realized that it would be a difficult road because I had a, a young family and a growing family. It would be very difficult for all of us all the way around. 
So we just kept moving forward with the flying and the endorsements and... Right, the flying career, uh, mm -hmm. uh, progressing to a larger aircraft in different locations. So we moved across the country. Mm -hmm. uh, from my first job was in Perry Sound. And moved no, no. No. Okay. <laughs> well, and with, then we find ourselves in Yellowknife. Right, Yellowknife. And, uh, Great church. Um, Very, yes. We just finished building our house, and I was promoted uh, from the Twin Otter onto the uh, uh, Bristol Freighter. And uh, then I guess the uh, I guess the uh, lives changed completely, very suddenly. Uh, I thought we had, uh, I had my uh, career all established, a growing family great church. We had just built our house. Yeah, it was wonderful. And, uh, and one Sunday morning, um, it was minus 33 degrees and 35, minus 35 was a cutoff temperature for this aircraft. Then I wouldn't have had to go, but because uh, it was 30, 33, I had to go flying. Carol dropped me off at the airport and went to church with the children. I flew across, uh, we flew across to uh, Hay River, Northwest Territories on the south side of Great Slave Lake to pick up a load of corrugated steel siding, uh, which was loaded on the aircraft and uh, tied down. We checked the, uh, the load for security and felt that it was secure enough, uh, but due to lack of experience and not knowing the nature of the load, um, we uh, taxied out, warmed up the engines and taxied out for takeoff. And they, they found out labor, later through the uh, investigation that the load the vibration had probably settled three inches. Uh, Underneath the straps. Yeah, making the tie downs loose. And then when we proceeded to take off, the load was allowed to slide back. And uh, shortly after takeoff, the aircraft pitched up, the wings stalled out. And uh, we did our stall recovery and ended up crashing on the side of the runway. And then I guess the uh, trials began. The uh, God. Uh, I think uh, gave us a number of miracles along the way here. I was, we were both critically injured, of course. You and, and your co-pilot. Yeah, the first miracle was that there was a uh, crash fire rescue vehicle on the ramp waiting for a Pacific Western Airlines Boeing 737 to come in. Uh, and they were on standby and they saw us go down and they were out there in 45 seconds spraying the aircraft with foam retard fire retardant. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and then I guess the next miracle, uh, I believe, was that the load had shifted a little, a little bit later. We would have crashed into Gray Slave Lake, which was off the end of the runway, gone through the new ice, and there would have been no rescue impossible. Um, then the, uh, I guess the uh, third miracle. Well, that was a, I think it was a miracle that Copilot was still conscious, um, that he was able to help them uh, determine where to cut. Uh, around the cockpit to uh, extract us. They peeled the top back like a can or a, a lid of a can. And uh, then we uh, were taken to the uh, uh, Hay River Hospital, which was uh, staffed by Pentecostal. It was actually a submarine mission hospital uh, full of Christians, and doctors, and nurses. And they were to pray over us. But, um, I guess that's, that was a miracle that uh, we were able to get access to a hospital like that right away after the crash. And uh, 
like I said, we're both critically injured and uh, uh, unfortunately, five and a half hours after the uh, we were taken to the hospital, my co-pilot passed away from heart failure and a broken back, and I was unconscious. Uh, and they, they flew me out to uh, uh, the uh, University Hospital in Edmonton uh, as soon as possible. And there's other aspects there that uh, we don't have time to talk about, but. Then I went began a, a lengthy recovery and made multiple surgeries, um, head, legs, face, jaw, mm -hmm. a lot of a lot of surgeries. You have a new look. Yeah, a new look. I don't look like I used to look. <laughs> I used to be good looking. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, oh yes. You, you, should, you should have said that. <laughs> I, I should have said that. Anyway, you go ahead. Okay, um, you're going to ask me some questions. <laughs> Uh, well, uh, one thing that I think you should mention in regards to our time at the hospital uh, was one of the miracles, of course, was your leg. And I think you should explain that story. Okay, uh, after a num number of surgeries, um, I mentioned before, I, I, well, maybe I did or not, the, uh, I had two inches of bone missing from my left tibia, so they had my leg uh, and uh, pulled apart in traction in the cast with this uh, space there, um, waiting for further surgery. They had I had multiple surgeries. They wired jaw and mandible. They had to wait for that to heal before they could proceed to other. This surgeries. was least important. Yeah, they couldn't even administer anesthetic with all that wiring in my my jaw and mandible. So I had to wait for that bone graft. And uh, in the meantime, um, we got we're getting close to uh, Christmas. Then uh, the accident happened on November 20th. I was a number of surgeries in the hospital, and Carol was, Carol was there the whole time, put up in a hospital, uh, hotel by Ward Air. Um, uh, they were, they uh, approved uh, me to go, WCB was pretty good to us, and they approved for, uh, to pay, pay for me to go back to Yellowknife for Christmas. To the Yellowknife Hospital, and the Yellowknife yeah. Hospital accepted you. Right. That Very was, rare. Yeah. And so I was uh, convalescing there at the Yellowknife Hospital, and I was able to visit with friends and even get out to a church service with uh, in a wheelchair. So that was great. Um, during this time uh, convalescing, um, God performed another miracle. Uh, the people at the church were praying for me. I went forward for prayer. Yes. And, uh, and then it came time to go back down to the uh, University Hospital in Edmonton after the... Uh, after the uh, bit of a break there in Yellowknife, and they were able to uh, proceed with the, uh, the bone graft. And the surgeon was really quite surprised that across that two inches of bone, there was a bone had grown about the thickness of, the thickness of a pencil. In that gap. In that gap, yes. And uh, so she had never seen, uh, except from the smaller children. So I believe that God performed that miracle for us. And uh, We'd actually taken a pair of shoes with us to, in case uh, God did a total complete healing. We were ready for a miracle. Yeah. But I think uh, over the years, uh, this is probably taking a little different direction, and uh, God has uh, been very real to me in many ways. Uh, and I was able to commune with him at lots of time, convalescing, and able to commune with him. Um, and one, one verse in particular stood out. Um, in, in Job, and I don't have the reference now, but um, 
uh, Job said uh, that uh, even though God might slay him, yet would he still serve, he would still serve him. And I, I felt that way, um, that God wasn't responsible for this, Satan was. And that it didn't change my mind as far as following Jesus. Um, where do we go next? Probably some of it would be just um, all the opportunities to pray with people that we had while you were in the hospital and the number of people that came in um, and we were able to pray. Um, the Just the relationship we had in the intensive care waiting room that Bob wouldn't have even known about and how we prayed with each other in there and um, certainly an encouragement to me for friends to not hesitate in the need of crisis, in the time of crisis, to go and pray in faith believing boldly it, when the circumstance demands it. And I knew praying over Bob's bed when we were in intensive care and you know the nurses are watching and we just lifted hands to heaven and prayed on his behalf for his life. And, um, and God has answered prayer. So you weren't supposed to live and you did. They were going to amputate your legs and they didn't. Um, there's just been so many miracles. It wasn't that God will always pull you out of the crisis, but we had so many little golden nuggets to know that he was walking with us throughout that time. Right, so a lot of things are different in our stories in that respect. I was uh, out of it uh, being cared for in the hospital and Carol had all this other uh, relationship going on outside the the hospital even. Um, but the, uh, over the years, uh, I sought to continue to seek the Lord for, for healing. Mm -hmm. um, everybody felt that God could heal me. He has healed me in the past and that he could heal me again. And it took a number of years and I came to the realization that um, that uh, God uh, provided a disability a remaining disability, so that I would not forget what he done for, what he's done for me. So we would not forget. Right. Yeah, I see we're up to 15 minutes ready. And that's part of our story for today. Yeah. <laughs> the weight of the world is getting heavy and now feels like it's far too much to carry. Thanks for listening to this message from Hillside Church. I pray that you were blessed by what God had to say in this message. If you would like to connect further with Hillside Church, there are a couple places you can go. HillsideAirdrie.ca is our website, and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at HillsideAirdrie. You can also look us up on YouTube and find all of our messages on Apple Podcasts. If you would like to connect to the pastoral team at Hillside, you can do that through our website, hillsideairdry.ca, and click on About Us in the main menu, and then click on Our Pastors. We're so thankful to be able to share the gospel message of Jesus Christ with our community in Airdrie and with you today. At Hillside Church, we are a family, not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. And that family includes you. As family, we go. What if the miracle's a moment away? What if the morning's just about to break? And all the innocence you thought that you lost was there inside of you all along. Come on and
Just keep on hoping, keep on hoping.